I want to uh, continue the series today in Ephesians, and we're going to be talking about crazy, incredible kids. I just want a show of hands. How many of you, your kids are incredible? Can I see your hands? I don't know of a parent that doesn't feel that way. All of that God has given us these incredible children, these incredible gifts that we get to raise. Now here's my second question. How many of you were incredible kids to your parents? Can I see your hands? Oh, wow, some really strong, self-esteemed people in this church. How many of you could say, like myself, there were some times that you were challenges to your parents when you were, you were not so incredible? Oh, a few more hands. Even some teenagers' hands going up in the congregation right now. Well, maybe you'll have an altar call later in the service, and uh, I'm sure it'll be packed. You know, Dr. James Dobson wrote a book a number of years ago that Becky and I read with great profit and uh, great interest, and it was called Parenting Isn't for Cowards. And I will submit to you, that book is still a valuable resource today, and it's not for cowards. I'll also say this, if you only have one child and uh, you've chosen not to have more, you really don't know how challenging parents can be, parenting can be. But Parenting is not as complicated as some people try to make it. One day when my dad was still living and our children were little, dad was out at the house and he was talking to us and we had all this material from Dr. Dobson on the table and we were showing him and we were friends with Dr. Dick Dobbins who was a uh, practicing psychiatrist for the Assemblies of God and we had resources from him and my daddy looked at all that stuff on our table and he looked at me and he said, fella, your mama and I didn't have any of that stuff when we were raising you kids. All we had was the Bible and faith in God. And you know what? I learned a lesson right there. Parenting is not as complicated as we can make it sometime. And if you want to be a good parent, here's the key. Treat your children the way God treats you. If you want to be a good parent, love your children the way God loves you. If you want to be a good parent, give your children the same kind of grace and mercy that God gives to you. Yesterday, we spent some time in downtown Detroit, um, Rachel, who is uh, Chris's girlfriend, is a missionary with the Assemblies of God and shares his call to missions. And um, I told him again last night, I said, boy, if you don't hurry up and ask that girl to marry you, we're just going to disown you and adopt her into our family. No pressure put on him whatsoever, but uh, we love her and she's just a joy. But we drove past the old train station yesterday and Becky was pointing out to her and telling her a little bit about the history and what the newspaper had been saying was going to take place, I think, since the Ford family or the Ford Motor Company has brought the bought the train station. And I just kind of mentioned my first visit. One of the men here in the church took me down to the old train station not after long after I moved here. And it was a dangerous place. There were gangs. There were drug paraphernalia everywhere. It was a place that Transformer movie was made at at the time. It's been a place that over the years I've read about different crimes that have been committed there and things that have happened that were terrible. And as Becky was telling her the story and how all the windows were out and the windows were back in and already the train station is looking better, something crossed my mind. And I just want to share this with you because I think the Holy Spirit wants you to know it. You may be here today and I'm going to 
hopefully be able to do a good job sharing with you what the Lord says about raising incredible kids, but you may be here today and you've given up hope on your kids, you've given up hope on your grandkids, you've given up hope on your marriage or your family. I want you to listen to me this morning. There is no family and there is no marriage beyond redemption. God can take what was a wreck and restore it and make it something brand new again. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? Hallelujah. By God's grace, your family can be exactly what God has called you to be and what God wants for you. It's a confusing day that we live in, too. I think you know that. There's, this is a very permissive culture. This is a confused culture. And what I'm saying to you, I say with a lot of love. I don't say with any hostility or antagonism. But this is a confused culture. Just a few weeks ago, the New York Times Magazine carried a long article about how that there are a number of parents that are choosing not to, to uh, allow the doctors to put the gender of their baby when they're born. They say when the baby gets old enough, they want the baby to decide what gender they are. That there's just something wrong. And the Times was actually applauding and affirming these couples for their choices. And it's just the foolishness and the folly of the way that our culture is going right now. But as a church, Woodland is going to stay rooted right at the foot of the cross. Our foundation is the Word of God. We're going to stand by the cross. Paul says there's one thing I glory in, and that is the cross of Christ. And that's what we're going to glory in. What Jesus purchased for us at Calvary, His blood atones for all. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that as well this morning? There's power in the blood of Jesus. Harvard in 2015 did a study on parenting and upon kids. I have that study if you would like a copy of it and to read it sometime, but it's a very interesting and very fascinating study. But 96% of parents said that they wanted to raise caring children. Harvard begins the study by saying something has gone awry with parenting and with our kids in America. We're saying that we want to raise caring children. We're saying that we want to raise children who love others and put others uh, first or as a priority in their lives. But 81% of the kids say that what their parents are teaching them and modeling to them is that their happiness and their personal achievement is more important than anything else. Only 21% of them even said that other people mattered. And when you believe a philosophy that is not even anchored in truth, when you believe a philosophy that somehow or another you evolved from some goo, slid into a zoo and became you, and that only the strong survive, then it doesn't matter what the weakest among us think. It doesn't matter among us what the weakest feel. It doesn't matter whether when you've lost your ability to be as productive as you once were when you were young and healthy, only the strong survive. So what really matters is your personal fulfillment your personal happiness, your personal achievement. And Harvard University is kind of surprised that something has gone awry with our kids. Well, friends, when you know that your heavenly Father is your creator and that you're created in the image of God, and when you read the life of Jesus and you understand who Jesus Christ is, and Jesus shows us what the Father is like in his love, his mercy, and his grace, and his miracles, that suddenly you understand you really do matter whether you're strong or whether you're weak, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you're black or whether you're white. Everybody matters in the eyes of God. Can you say amen? And so when we look at God, it changes our total perspective. So I'll say it again this morning. 
Don't make parenting more complicated than what it ought to be. Let your Father in heaven be your model. Treat your children the way God treats you, and I promise you, you can raise some incredible kids. I'd like you one more time just to read this. Pastor Corey's already read it, but let's look at Ephesians 6 and read it one more time, and I want to read it a little more slowly this time. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Kids, look at me. If you're a teenager or you're not in climbers and you're still in this service this morning, understand something. You don't belong to the state. You don't belong to your parents. You belong to God. And every Christian parent recognizes that. One of the great joys of my ministry is to dedicate children to the Lord. It's to give back to the Lord what He has given to us. It's to say, this child belongs to you. Your parents have the God-given delegated responsibility to raise you and to train you in the way you should go. And you are called to obey them not because they're worthy of obedience, but you're called to obey them because you belong to the Lord. There was not too many years ago that the state of Texas, that the school board superintendent said that children belong to the state of Texas and not to their parents. That was the same thing that Joseph Stalin said. That's the same thing that all communist dictators say, is they don't want the parents to have control. And there is a big move today, mom and dad, you know that what I'm saying is true, that there are not only entertainment and educational media that want to own your children's minds, it's important that you teach your children who they are and you model for them what God is like in the way that you love them. So kids, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord and read this with me, it's the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. Even if they don't live very honorably sometime, you're called to honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, read this with me, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. How many of you want things to go bad for you? How many of you want to die today? Good, we've got a healthy congregation here. You know, things don't go better with Coke. They go better with Jesus. Things go well with your life. As a matter of fact, there are some people who believe that drinking Coca-Cola will shorten your life. I know that snorting Coke will shorten your life. And so it's important that we understand that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in this world. So he says, honor your parents. This is what God is saying. Jesus honored his father when he was here on this earth. He says, I only do the things that I see my father doing. I only say the things that I hear my father saying. He said, I've not come to do my will, but the will of my father who sent me. Jesus modeled for us what the perfect son or what the perfect daughter is like as he obeyed his father. And although Jesus died when he was only 33, crucified for our sins, how many of you know God didn't leave him in the grave on the third day? He raised him up again, and there he lives forever at the right hand of the Father, and one day soon he's coming back for you and me, and we shall live eternity in eternity with him. You talk about a long life. Let's give the Lord another hand of praise in this place this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah! That's the word of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. And every kid in the church is wanting to say amen, but they're wisely saying, just keeping quiet. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline 
and restriction that comes from the television, from YouTube, that comes from where? The Lord. And you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Who is going to be your guidance counselor when it comes to how to raise your children? Father, one more time, because we do believe in the power of prayer, we ask you now in Jesus' name, open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word and help me to say no more or no less than what you have to say to us as a congregation today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, the first thing I think that the scripture is showing us here is I must welcome children. I must welcome children. It was a part of me wanted to keep the climbers in service today, but we talked about it and discussed it, and I just decided the better part of wisdom was to let the climbers go back with Pastor Corey <laughs> and those that are older to be here. But I think there's something important that you need to see. And that is that there were children in the congregation when Paul wrote this letter. This letter was read to the congregation. It was read to the assembly. And obviously, children were present in the congregation. Paul speaks directly to them. Now, that passes us by because children are very important to us today. But in the Roman world of which the, Eph the Ephesians were part of, children were just property. Children were nothing more than chattel. They were nothing more than cattle. They were nothing more than a set of keys or a lock or a door that you might buy. As a matter of fact, in the Roman world, you could dispose of your children if you wanted to. You could sell your children. You could toss your baby out on the garbage dump. Church history and all secular history is recorded of how Christians would go and rescue babies off the garbage dumps because if somebody decided they didn't want their child or their child was born sickly or their child was born crippled, they would just simply get rid of the child. Children had no rights. They were property of their fathers. And all of a sudden, Paul just elevates what a child is. Paul elevates how we're to think of our children to these Roman citizens. This was a total countercultural thing. You talk about repentance, repentance meaning to turn and to go another way. Suddenly, people's minds were changed about their children. He's not writing to a Jewish audience, he's writing to a Roman audience. And it's the same thing he learned from Jesus. The Bible says in Mark chapter, chapter 10 and verse 13, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples, his board, scolded the parents for bothering him. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these little children. And there are people sometimes that children are a bother. I've had people tell me, I can't stand kids. I don't like to be around kids. And I ask them, were you ever a kid in your life, you know? And children are wonderful. Children must be welcome. The Bible tells us they're the gift from the Lord. The Bible tells us happy is the man whose quiver is full of children. Now, some of you have got little quivers and some of you have got big quivers. The, the thing is, is that when you have children, that's the only time in the Bible that God ever really comes close to defining happiness. He says, you will be happy if you do certain things, but he equates children with happiness. And you might say to me, well, uh, you come if you want to be happy and you take care of my child at night when he wakes up screaming or you take care of my rebellious teenager. I promise you, remember the Detroit train station. There is grace and God can repair, restore, and make your family what he created you to be. If you believe that, say amen this morning. 
That's the promise of the Lord. The Bible says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Last week, little Ruby brought me a picture and she's right there at the back of the church. And I have loads of pictures and drawings. Some of you that are sitting in this congregation as adults this morning, I have things that you drew for me, things that you wrote me, things that, so when some of you get married, I'm going to bring to the wedding and show everybody when you get married. I have all kinds of things. Becky has recently asked me to start scanning them because we have boxes of things like that that I've collected over the years. But Ruby brought me a little picture last week that she drew, and she says, here, Pastor, this is for you, and she gave me a big hug, and I looked at it and said, Ruby, it's beautiful, but I had no idea what it was. And so I their family kind of stayed late last Sunday and as I was getting my stuff from down here getting ready to go into another meeting Ruby come running down to the front and she goes pastor did you like my picture and I knelt down and hugged her and says Ruby I loved it I promise you I'm going to keep it and so I got back to the, my study and after the meeting Becky and I were talking I said let me show you what Ruby drew me this morning I told her what I just told you and I said but I have no idea what it is and I'm petrified she's going to ask me and so Ruby Becky looks and says oh that's easy. This is Ruby. She's sitting in church and this is you preaching. She's listening to you. Now, I don't know if Becky was lying to me or not, but I see it now. I mean, once somebody with a creative mind told me, you know, I, I see it now. And so Ruby came to me again this morning in the first service and says, Ruby, I loved your picture of me preaching and you sitting there in the congregation. I don't think she remembers, but she just went to smiling real big. You see, children matter in affirming those children and welcoming those children. They are never a bother to us. And if we love our children, then we value our children and we value their creativity and we encourage them in that. But we also teach them the value of obedience because the first step, the first step, listen now, the first step in your children learning how to become a passionate follower of Christ is learning how to obey you. That's the first step. My first responsibility as a discipler is to Becky and to my four children, and now my grandchildren. That's my first responsibility. The Bible says, my son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instructions. Keep their words always in your heart and tie them around your neck. This is an affectionate way that he's writing to his son as he's getting ready to leave home. This morning, one more time, as we gathered for prayer as a family and sent Chris and Rachel off, just reminding him of the teaching and what God gave to him growing up and reminding him of the future and the call and the promise that God has to do good for them. You always want to keep that in mind in your, in, in your kid's life. But when you read about God's discipline for us, it's loving, it's attentive, it's caring. I can see sometimes, and this may be just a little much for you, but I can see my heavenly father reaching down sometimes in my spirit and giving me the comfort that I need, giving me the hope that I need. Kind of like when Becky or Amy walk up behind me and give me a back rub. I can see him giving me the attention I need sometime when I, I'm feeling drained and I'm feeling exhausted and I don't know where else to give anymore and, and suddenly I'm in worship and all of a sudden I'm not only worshiping God, but I realize that God is loving me me and there's this moment when Jesus and I have this personal moment together and his eye is always upon you. The Bible says you're the apple of his eye. Not one hair falls out of your head that he doesn't know about it. God deeply loves you and cares for you and yet he disciplines you and you know to obey him because when you obey God, things go well with him. Things go better with Christ. If you believe that, say amen this morning. 
Things always go better with Jesus. And the second thing I'd say is, if I'm going to discipline children, I've got to discipline myself. If I'm going to discipline children, I've got to live a disciplined life myself. Wow, that really changes things around. Because my children will only do what they see me doing. They will only say what they see me saying. It's what Jesus said. I do what I see my father doing. I say what I hear my father saying. And you would be shocked over the years, over 42 years of ministry, how many kids have come to me and says, my parents will sing, oh, how I love Jesus in church and then fight like the devil in the car. Or when a little girl comes to me and she's gotten her granddad's cell phone and there's pornography on it and all of a sudden she loses all faith in her granddad and her faith is shattered. Or when a mother gets angry and suddenly there's a torrent of words that spill out of her mouth that would make a sailor blush and she suddenly realizes what she's done and she angrily stalks out of the room and never says, I'm sorry. You see, if we're going to discipline kids, we have to discipline ourselves. And trust me, there have been times as a dad, I've had to say I'm sorry. Not for any filthy words or curse words I've ever said, but sometimes for disciplining too quick, sometimes for for speaking without stopping to think. God never, never disciplines us in anger. But he comes to us as a father and he loves us. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. There's not a dad in here. There's not a mom in here. You know what provokes your children. You know what presses their buttons. You know how to get them going. You know that. That's the reason I tell kids all the time, before you get married, I have a question for you. Does your mother, does your father, do they approve of this boy or this girl you want to marry? Those of you going through premarital counseling, you know we go through that. Do you like her parents? What do your parents think about him? Because one of the things that I'm asking you is, your parents know you in a way that nobody else knows you. And sometimes we have to deal with a parent. It's rare, but sometimes I have to deal with a parent that wants their daughter to marry somebody rich or wants their daughter to marry somebody with more power or somebody they've got dreams that are not godly dreams for their daughter. Or sometimes there's a dad that's gotten his, his, his priorities confused and we sit down and I just have to confront them as a Christian. What is this all about? There was recent, not recently one that I just had to, to deal with about. And I says, listen, do you want your child to marry a passionate follower of Christ or does money and education mean more to you? Well, I I want them to be a passionate follower of Christ, but I want them to be rich and I want them to have at least this equivalent of this kind of degree. And I said, well, I have news for you. You're not lining this up properly. You've got to look at this. What does God say about a godly spouse? What does God say about a godly husband, a godly wife? And now that this couple is married, this couple is not only thriving and doing well, but there's happiness and there's peace in the home. Friends, hear me this morning. Do not let the world shape your values for the people that your children marry. Let your faith shape your values for who they marry. Can you say amen to that this morning? Not many of us were rich. Not many of us were educated, Paul said. But all of us were loved by God. And when Jesus Christ saves you, he changes your future. He takes losers and makes them winners. He takes people that are on the bottom and puts them on the top. He says, I bless you when you're going in and I bless you when you're going out. And I watch over you and I preach preserve your life. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. <laughs> Discipline should help our children learn to obey, not exasperate them, not provoke them, 
Discipline should help our children to begin to see the value in learning to obey. Part of the reason Paul wrote this whole verse right here was because the Romans treated their children so harshly. It's kind of like some of the silly parents I see in the store screaming at their child, shut up, I'm going to hit you. The other day, some dad said some bad words to his child and Becky just stopped him and rebuked him right there in the grocery store. And he says, well, I'm his dad. And she said, well, you should know better. Let me tell you something. We live in a world that has uncontrolled mouths. We live in a world with uncontrolled minds. And we live in a world with a permissive culture. We cannot let that shape us. We stand at the foot of the cross. We don't hate the world. We love the world. But we stand fast upon our faith. And if we will stand fast, suddenly people will begin to see the light. Because the way of the world will end in darkness and death. But the way of the righteous shall end in eternity and glory and light. And I don't know of anybody that wants to end up in destruction we want to know Jesus Christ so have faith in your convictions build your home with faith in God the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God when you come to God in prayer not only believe that God exists but believe that God rewards you for praying and asking him that's Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 build your home with grace Build your home with the same kind of grace that God gave to you Tuesday night in the Thanksgiving service. One of the things I shared with you, I'm thankful for the grace of God in my life. And what is grace? It's when God has given me the things that I don't deserve. If I had to live on what I deserved, I would perish. But when I live on what God in His grace gives to me, I thrive. And when you build your home on grace, your children will thrive. Build your home with respect. Respect your children. Respect doesn't mean you have to always respect all of their choices, but respect your children. Respect what God is doing in their life. Respect yourself. Dad, hear me this morning. If you don't respect yourself, you won't treat your children with respect. You won't treat your wife with respect. Oh, you may treat them with deference. You may treat them as better than they should be treated or worse than they should be treated. But when you respect yourself, when you walk away from your entertainment and you feel whole and you feel clean and you feel pure, when you walk away from your job and you've been honest and you've given an honest day's work for an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, when you walk away from your relationships and you can hold your head high and look everybody in the eye because you know you treated them right and you're not worried about skeletons being discovered in your closet, you respect yourself and suddenly you begin to respect others. The easiest person to cheat is a cheat. The easiest person to deceive is a deceiver. But the hardest person to cheat and the hardest person to deceive is an honest man and a loving man or an honest woman and a loving woman because they respect themselves and there's almost this intuitive ability that the Holy Spirit gives you to see through the lies and the garbage of this world. It's called discernment. Say that word with me. Discernment. And it's a word that we don't hear enough in our culture because in this culture, it's just permissive. Do what you want to do. Friends, there are some things you do that are going to kill and destroy your marriage and your home. Build your home with love. Unconditional love. Not love that is conditional if you get an A. Not love that is conditional if your room is cleaned up. And we do that sometimes without even realizing it. Some parents, according to the kids that I've talked to, as soon as they walk in the house, parents, what'd you get on your test today? When they walk into that house, love them, greet them. Maybe if you work and you get home, after your kids get home, walk in your house, love them and greet them. Sometime later in the day, say, sit down. Hey, let's talk about school. How did it go in school today? I want to see you do well. I want to see you achieve. It's not the grade that suddenly matters to you in their eyes. It's them that matter to you in their eyes. Build a home with service. 
Be a man that loves your family, serves your family. They don't exist to serve you. My favorite holiday, I've told you this for years, my favorite holiday of the year is Thanksgiving because Becky will not let me do anything on Thanksgiving. I am spoiled, rotten, and I love it. Don't tell Becky it should be any different. But come Friday morning, I pay dearly. I pay through the nose because she has a honeydew list for me that is a mile long, and I enjoy doing it. You see, you serve your kids. You serve your family. You put them first. Those of you that I've done your weddings, I tell you what my mom told me. She says, you'll know you're ready to get married when you can wear your pants till they're shiny in the seat because you're always going to be sure your wife and your kids are dressed in the best. And how often I've seen that go just the other way around. And then build a home with boundaries. Boundaries are healthy for children. Studies have shown that on playgrounds where there are no fences and no boundaries, kids all huddle together in the middle of the playground because they don't know what to do. They feel insecure. But when there are boundaries, kids are exploring the whole playground. They're playing on whatever toys and whatever rides. They're playing on the basketball court. They're playing chase. They're whatever is out there to do because there's boundaries. And your kids may be just like my kids were. They may be just like our cattle were. We had the greenest pastures that you could ever imagine on our little farm. They were green and lush as anything I've ever seen in Ireland. But our stupid cows, they would go right to the edge of the pasture and stick their head through the fence, turn it this way, so they could eat the weeds in the ditch. And we'd have to go out there, turn their heads, stubborn sometimes, push them back through, and Daddy and I would laugh. With all that green grass out there, they'd stick their heads to try and eat a few weeds. And you may find out your kids are going to stick their heads through the fence once in a while. There's a misnomer. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That's a proverb. It's not a promise. It says, train up your child in the way he should go. You don't train up your child saying, okay, they're going to sow wild oats. Okay, they're going to go out and do bad things and then on their deathbed they're going to come back to Jesus that's no promise that doesn't give any parent any hope God is saying train up your child and love them they may stick their head through the fence once in a while but you be there and whatever it takes you get their dumb head right back through the fence and back in the pasture somebody give the Lord a hand of praise a daycare can't do that for you. A mentor can't do that for you. A youth pastor can't do that for you. A principal can't do that for you. A teacher can't do that for you. A pastor can't do that for you. If you have children, you've got to do that for your kids. You build that home with boundaries, but you also build a home with discipline. And I want to talk to you for just a moment about discipline. Because discipline has to do with the future. You discipline yourself to save because you want to buy a car in the future. You discipline yourself because you want to go on a vacation. You discipline yourself to pay for a home because you hope when your children are raised and they're out on their own and they're raising their families that you and your wife, maybe you can do some of the things that you've dreamed. You've disciplined yourself so that you can do those things that you've always, you've disciplined yourself because you've looked ahead to the future. That's what discipline does. When we discipline our children, we're not bringing up their past. When we're disciplining our children, we're not telling them they're losers. When we're disciplining our children, we're, telling, we're not telling them that you're never going to be anything, you're never going to succeed, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're this, you're disobedient, you're rebellious. No, that's not the way God treats you. When God disciplines you, the Bible says it's the child he loves that he disciplines. It's the child he embraces. 
he also corrects. God is pointing you always to your future in heaven with Jesus Christ and saying to you, if you obey me, things will go well with you and you'll have a long life upon this earth. And that's discipline. If I don't discipline my kids, I don't love them. Proverbs 13, 24, if you refuse to discipline your son, it proves you don't love him. If I don't discipline my children, I'm helping destroy them. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your children while they're young enough to learn. If you don't, you are helping them to destroy them. Friends, you don't discipline out of anger. And I've got to confess to you, raising four children, there were times when I would say, go to your room and we'll talk in a minute. And I would go for a run. I was a much better dad after a run. I'd say, go to your room, and I'll go talk to your mom. And I was a much better dad after talking to Becky. Go to your room, and sometimes I'd just go kneel beside the bed and pray. Sometimes Becky and I would go in beside their bed and lay on the floor at night when they were sleeping. Recently, Becky told me that Andrew said to her, recently, he says, Mom, you know all those times you came and lay by my bed? You thought I was asleep, but I could hear you praying for me. You see, you don't discipline out of anger. You discipline out of wisdom. And I've yet, including myself, to meet anybody that disciplined rashly, disciplined in anger, said cruel things that they wish they'd never said that for some reason their kids can't forget. And this coming year, I'm going to preach a message to you, Galt, forgiving the things you can't forget. And there are some things we can't forget. And one of the things you can't forget is the harsh words that are treated and said to us sometime. So cool down. Count sheep. Call your small group leader. Say, I am so angry. I could kick them into next week. And when I get there, I could kick them into the week following. It's okay that you feel that way. But you will cool down and then you can discipline. And besides, it's good for them to sit there and stew for a while. Because if they stew for a while and you don't discipline them in anger, they won't be exasperated and bitter with you. They know that you'll love them. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? They'll know that you love them. You see, Pastor, why are you being so specific on that? Because I'm very worried. I see people slapping their kids. And these are the same people that say that spanking is wrong. I see people punch, I've seen them punching their kids with their fist in the stores. There are people who have, are taking care of children that are not even their children. They're living with a girl or they're living with a man and who knows who their daddy is and they don't really love this kid to begin with and they're smacking them around and slapping around and we don't realize what's being sown that's going to come into this nation. Those of you that are school teachers, you know what I'm talking about. When a school teacher calls me and says, pray, pastor, I've got kids fighting in the class and I can't separate them, I can't touch them. When a school teacher gets disciplined and is suspended for the rest of the year because the teacher tries to separate two children and one child files harassment charges. This is in our community. Someone in our church files harassment charges against that teacher and the parent believes their kid rather than believe the teacher. It's all because something has gone awry, as Harvard University says in America. And we've got to return to the foundation of our faith. How do we raise incredible kids that bring joy to us? The Bible says, and I hope I sounded like Billy Graham right there. The Bible says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And when you discipline in love, your children aren't frightened of you. 
They learn to love you and respect your wisdom. Can we give him a hand of praise for that as well this morning? The third thing is I must understand my kids. I must understand my children. The number one complaint that I get from kids sometimes is my parents don't understand me. That's not anything new. There were times I didn't think my daddy understood me. My daddy loved a country music singer by the name of Porter Wagner. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made was looking at Porter Wagner with all of his sequins and a white thing and said, Daddy, that man looks like a homosexual. <laughs> the wrath of God descended upon me. <laughs> now in my mind, he did. Because the boys I knew wore sequins and stuff like that. And boy, did Daddy ever straighten me out. I didn't ever say that again in my whole life. But my daddy didn't like the Beatles. And our pastor especially didn't like the Beatles. And he would get up and preach that their music was witchcraft music and it was of the devil and should not be allowed in our homes. So I respected my daddy. It was never in our home. My car was a different story. But I loved the Beatles and I still loved the Beatles. And it doesn't mean that they were right and their philosophy and Porter Wagner wasn't right in his philosophy. It was just a matter of entertainment. And it was for a long time we didn't understand. I remember I wanted to grow my hair out. And so I went away to college and my daddy came down to see me and I'd grown my hair out. Oh my word, you would have thought the world was coming to an end. He was ashamed of me and letting my hair grow out over my ears. That was not the way he raised me and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Ben comes along. He walks into my dad's living room. Ben's hair is down on his shoulders and my daddy looks up in and says, Ben, your hair looks great, son. It looks so good on you. I looked at him and I said, Daddy, you have lost your mind. What are you talking about? I says, and I told him, I said, you always got on to me. He says, it never looked good on you. He looks good on him. <laughs> and yet nobody understood me like my dad. He understood my dreams. He understood my hopes. He understood my ambitions. Nobody understood my dad. And he would come into my room sometime and sit down on the edge of my bed. And he says, son, I know we don't see eye to eye on music. And I know we don't see eye to eye on this. But fellow, you know I love you. Fellow, you know I'm always there for you. And I knew that about my dad. And my dad was 100% behind me. And I got to tell you something. It takes work. I didn't realize how hard my dad, who grew up without a dad, his dad died when he was six. My dad, whose family lived on the edge of poverty. My dad, who was always healthy and strong as a horse. I didn't understand what a work it was for my parents to study Kim and Teresa and I and then help us each one excel in the callings that God has given us. So I want to say, study your children. Study their ways. Study their temperaments. Study their skill sets. Study their personalities. Be sure they're in youth ministry. If you're too busy to have your kids in youth ministry, you're too stinking busy. And don't give your kids a choice. You're not forcing religion down. Are you forcing education down their throat? Are you forcing sports down their throats? Are you forcing all these extracurricular activities that you're making them do that I know they don't want to do because you want them to get a good education and you want them to get a scholarship so you don't have to pay for it so you can buy a boat and a bigger house? I hear it all the time, trust me. Study your kids. 
have them in youth ministry. One of the things that Pastor Corey does, he takes them through a youth-oriented curriculum of the same discipleship material we do, where they learn about their spiritual gifts, they learn about their personality profiles, they learn about how God is shaping them and what He wants them to do. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children. You'll crush their spirits. If you don't study your kids, you run a danger of coming down on them too hard. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on His children, on the faithful, for He knows how we are formed. Do you know that God knows what makes you tick? I don't know what makes you tick, but God knows what makes you tick. And God loves you. He understands you. So the Bible says, dads, moms, use wisdom and understanding to establish your home. How many of you have more than one child? Can I see your hand? You have more than one child. All right, put them down. How many of you, those children, you can motivate them in the same way? Didn't think so. So there's some kids looking at their parents when I ask that question. How many of you, your kids are just alike in their temperament? How many of you that your kids are just alike in their weaknesses? They're just alike in their skill sets. You see, you study your kids so that you can understand them. Proverbs 22.6 says, and this is from the Amplified Version, train up a child in the way he should go teaching him to seek God's wisdom and will for his abilities and talents. And even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. I say this, one of the greatest joys of my life, and I'm an adoptive father, was studying our four children, discovering what made them tick. Those Daddy Andrew Knights, Daddy Christopher Knights, Daddy Benjamin Knights, Daddy Amy Knights, going out, letting them set the agenda, letting them talk, doing what they wanted to do, and coming back home and journaling, not like a scientist, but like a dad. I didn't know that my son liked this. I didn't know that my kids enjoyed this. Or tonight we did, and just writing it down, we had this conversation. Friends, I'm telling you, there's more joy to parenting than you know. Don't make it too complicated. Don't make it too complicated. Love your kids the way God loves you. Amen? And then the fourth thing, and Mark, you can come on up. I need to be brief here. I must, I'm sorry, that's Becky over there. I'm so, oh, I am in big trouble. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> I'll get my glasses checked this week, Becky, I promise. I must accept my children. Question. How many perfect people are in this room? Any perfect people? No. And God accepts you just as you are. God accepts you just as you are. Just as I am without one plea. That's grace. That's good. God gives me what I don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give me what I do deserve. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Filled with unfailing love. Do you reject your kids when they mess up? Do you scream at them when they mess up? Do you condemn them? The Bible says that children are a gift from the Lord. You have to accept that gift. 
Suppose you're an athlete. My dad could hit a baseball a country mile. My dad could smell the fish on a bed. My dad knew where the quail were at. He knew where the doves were at. Might have been different if I hadn't grown up crippled and could have done those things with him. But all I knew how to do was to read books and study in school, and I loved it. And there came a point when I was 16 and I was doing much better. Dad wanted me to do some of those things with him, and we'd go, and I just didn't get it. I remember one time I flipped the boat over, didn't mean to. He gave me something to eat and I wanted to rinse my hands from the worms that we've been using. So I leaned over and I leaned too far and the whole boat flipped over. I remember one time we went hunting. I didn't see anything. And to this day, I feel terrible about what I'm about to tell you. There was a little chipmunk popped his head up. And I was so frustrated. I didn't like being up in that tree anyway. I shot the chipmunk. There was nothing left of him. Daddy come run over the hill, excited. When I told him I shot the chipmunk, I got the scolding of my life. Why did I kill that helpless little chipmunk? You can't eat him. Da-da-da-da-da. One night, he wanted me to go spend the night with him in a cabin. I didn't like that either. One day he said to me, fella, you don't enjoy any of this, do you? I said, no, so I really don't. He said, that's okay. He told Becky one time, he said, if that boy couldn't preach, he'd starve to death because he don't know how to do anything else in this whole wide world. But he went out of his way. Every day, every single day, to let me know he was proud of me and accepted me. I'm the only one from his side of the family at that point that went into the ministry. I was the only one that side of the family that really wanted to go to college. They were all mechanics and hunters and fishers and muscular. But because my dad accepted me, my whole family on that side accepted me because he would have killed them if they hadn't accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory God custom designed your kids just for you because he knew you could raise them look at me God custom designed your kids for you because he knew you could raise them Somebody else's boyfriend can't raise them. Somebody else's girlfriend can't raise them. God designed mothers and fathers to raise their children. So don't love your kids for what they do. Love them for who they are. And then finally this morning, one more word to the kids in the congregation. Children, honor your parents. Honor your father and your mother. This is, 
the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. I want you to listen to me. If you're a teenager or younger than that in the church, just listen to me for a moment. Sometimes it's a struggle for me as a pastor to obey the Lord. I've often told you a pulpit makes you look holier than what you really are. Sometimes God will lay something on my heart or sometimes I'll have to move in response to His Word and it's a struggle. Sometimes it was a struggle to obey my parents and it will be a struggle for you too. It doesn't mean that you're a sinner. It doesn't mean that you've backslidden. And as long as your parents aren't teaching you to do anything against the will of God, as long as your parents aren't trying to get you to do anything illegal, you obey them. Not because they're perfect, but because you belong to the Lord. You belong to Jesus. Your first discipleship steps is not doing what Pastor Corey tells you or what I tell you in a sermon. Your first discipleship steps is honoring your mother and father and obeying them. If you're the greatest youth group member, if you're the greatest small group member, if you're the greatest kid in this church and you're dissing your parents and you're disobeying your parents, you're not honoring the Lord. Sometimes parents aren't honorable, but you treat them with respect and dignity anyway. And if, now let me speak to all of us because all of us are somebody's kids. You've moved out of the house. You're taking care of your own bills. You're on your own. You still honor your mother and father. You still call them. You still visit them. You still include them in holidays. You treat them with the dignity and respect. If you want the quality, things go well with you. And the quantity, a long life on earth, you honor your mother and father. That's an incredible promise. You don't have to choose between quality and quantity. I took a man out to eat one day and he said, Pastor, you love quality, I love quantity. Well, you know what? In Jesus, you don't have to go either or. If you honor your parents, things will go well with you and you have a long life on this earth. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? So for the kids and for those of us that are no kids any longer, how do you do it? Honor your parents with understanding and compassion. They deserve that. They deserve your compassion. Parenting's not for cowards. And all the mamas and daddies said, it's not for cowards. So you have compassion. You work at understanding your mom and dad. The things that I said for your mom, you work at, ask your dad, why do you like this? Dad, why do you enjoy doing this? You, if they go through, and you, they should, you go home and tell them I said they should. They're disobeying God if they don't. They need to get through 101, 201, and 301. They need to get through 301, discovering my ministry. What are their spiritual gifts? What is their passion in life? What do they enjoy doing? What are their skills? Ask them. How did you learn to do it? Ask them stories about their childhood. Inquire. And then you keep a journal and you write those things down. And think about how the gospel and the commandments fit together. Look at me. I'm not a libertine. I'm not a libertarian. The good news of Jesus Christ 
also has the Ten Commandments. We're not saved by works, but if we're saved, we'll obey God. Not perfectly. We're all. It's not a matter if you're going to sin. You're going to sin. And if you're faithful to confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you. We're not perfect. But the commandments are there because they're the boundaries around our lives. And I've learned, finally, keep my head in the pasture and not in the ditch. Third thing I'd say to you this morning is care about your parents by you praying for them. You pray for your mom and dad. At night before you go to sleep, in the morning before they go to work. I remember when a man in this congregation, not in this congregation, but one of his family members in this congregation was killed. Door fell flat on him, killed him instantly. The night before, he attended a conference with a friend of mine, John Maxwell. John, as he always does at a leadership conference, he gave an altar call. Just, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, he explained it, prayed. That night he came home to call his sons to tell him he gave his heart to Jesus. I was asked to preach his funeral. I called John's secretary, Diane. I said, Diane, I need you to go through the cards. See if he filled out a card. And sure enough, he had filled out a card. He committed his life to Jesus Christ. He had a nephew in this church that was praying for his uncle. I'm telling you, God answers prayer. God answers prayer. And then finally, you trust the promises of God. And you will raise incredible kids. And you kids, you will be the most incredible kids in the world. I already think that about you anyway. Stand with me and let me pray for you this morning. Lord, of all that I've been able to preach from Ephesians so far, this has brought the most joy to my heart. Because we're raising up an incredible generation of kids in a pretty confused world. And they're going to be a beacon. They're going to be a lighthouse. They're going to be the sword that pierces the darkness. They're going to know God. Kids right here from this church are going to know God and do great and mighty exploits. They're going to be loved and accepted. And sometimes we may have to say, what is this picture? But when that child comes back and asks us, did you like it? We're going to embrace them and say, yes, it's the greatest picture I got today. Now, Father, I pray for every dad and mom. Give them the confidence they're going to succeed. Would you pray that right now? Say, Lord, I have confidence in you. I'm going to succeed. If you're a grandparent, you're going to succeed. Father, give to every kid in this church. And if you're a student or a teenager, please don't be offended with me. Cut me a little slack. In my eyes, you're the best. But you're still, you're still at home under your parents' authority. Would you pray, Lord, I thank you I'm going to be a success in learning to obey my mom and dad and honor them.
And Father, I pray for those who may not have crossed the line yet right now that they'll understand they are the object of your love. And no matter what's happened in their life, even if they think it's beyond hope, God, you brought them here today to hear about how you can take something that is broken, something that is shattered, and you can fix it, restore it, and give them a brand new life in Jesus. You've heard me refer to the cross quite a bit this morning. Jesus died for your sins too. Sin is our moral failure. It's our lack of faith and trust in God. If there's something in you you want to commit your life to Jesus today, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you. So I want to ask you right now, think about your eternity. Think about what would happen if something tragic happened in your life today or tomorrow. And I'm not trying to frighten you. I just want you to be sober. There's a God who loves you and brought you here today so that you could put your faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, pray this prayer with me. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for the good news that Jesus died to save me from my sins. Thank you, though I don't understand how, you forgive me and you make me a brand new person. So today, I confess my faith in Jesus. I put my trust in Jesus. I don't rely on my works, but totally upon Jesus. And I invite you into my heart to be the ruler, the master, the Lord of all. In Jesus' name I pray. While every head is still bowed and every eye is closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you let me know? Just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. Somebody else said, Pastor, I prayed that prayer with you this morning. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Can we give the Lord a big hand of praise? That thrills my soul. Nothing thrills my soul quite like... Nothing. I'm telling you, nothing thrills my soul quite like when somebody gives their heart to Jesus Christ. Rick's coming. Pastor Rick's coming. He's some announcements to make. But let me just say a final word to grandparents. Recently, I Skyped, Becky and I Skyped with our grandkids. And now that the boys are getting a little older, come on up, Rick. We're seeing the differences in our grandsons. Andrew is very, excuse me, Davin is, is very much like Christopher. Nolan is very much like Andrew. Matter of fact, when he was reading to me, I saw Andrew all in him. He had a book with 14 pages, Papa. Those eyes would get big as saucers. And he'd finish a page, he'd go, page one. Papa, page 10, 10 pages, Papa. Only three lines per page, but he was so proud. And he got done, page 14.
team, Papa, do you know how many that is? And I'm seeing Andrew, and I'm laughing, but behind him is Uncle Christopher. There's Davin in the background, you know, just acting like a monkey. And I'm thinking, different is night and day. And I'm asking God to help me understand them. And I don't know if it's just because I'm a granddad, but I really do believe this recent study. Kids are closer to their grandparents than they've ever been before. And to that, every grandpa and grandma said, Amen. God bless you. I love you so much. Pastor Rick, give us some announcements.